Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Watch out for the greed merchants 
They be taking native title out from under your feet. It's the biggest land grab you've ever seen. I will not let them. I won't let them do what they don't understand. No business, no business with this land. Cause they did my boy. He said so. from the lands of the Kulin Nations, the overlap of Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples. And we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in, and we acknowledge that all the lands were stolen and never ceded. I'm Sally Goldner, I'm your host for Out of the Pan. I use the pronouns she and her, and uh, lots of ways to get in touch with the show you can email out of the pan 855 at gmail.com. You can SMS 61456751215 on Twitter, Instagram, and now Mastodon. You can look for at Sal Gold Said So and look for posts on Facebook on my page, Sally Goldner and Out of the Pan, 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. And remember, any opinions that I express on the show are my own. And for that matter today, any opinions expressed by my guest are those in a personal capacity, not those of any organisation with which my guest is associated. You can also write into the show, PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. General morning, we'll just give the numbers for QLife, including Switchboard in Victoria and Tasmania, 1800 184 527 and Rainbow Door, 1800 729 367. Um, just in case. Um, but I've got an awesome guest on the Zoom wires, um, ready to have a chat. Someone who um, I hope that song was welcoming. Eddie Marbo from Neil Murray's album, The Wondering Kind. Uh, guest is someone who is highly intersectional, and I'm going to get uh, my um, Laura McLean to introduce oneself um, with pronouns, which lands you're on, and we'll go from there. Laura, welcome to the 3CR Airwaves. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Um, oh. I'm Laura. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm uh, calling in from the lands of the Bunurong people uh, of the Kulin Nation. I myself um, am, am a descendant of the Radri people um, from New South Wales, um, but I've been living down here uh, in Victoria for uh, about 10 years now. So, yeah, very excited to be here. Well, look, it's awesome to have you. And look, I um, hadn't met you until, where are we? Um, if today's May the 14th, 45 days ago uh, or so, when we, <laughs> we both had the, I think it's fair to say, the honour to speak at the Trans Day of Visibility Rally, which was so much needed and so powerful. And we've got to give um, thanks to Austin for his great organising at short notice and um, that we reclaimed the steps of Parliament House, which was an awesome feeling. But you spoke so powerfully that day from an intersectional perspective. And, I mean, I'm going to get you to perhaps 
um, dive in at one part of your intersection. Start by talking about anything you want to talk about as someone who is um, Aboriginal, who identifies um, under the parts of somewhere of the LGBTIQA plus communities and is also a unionist. So take your pick. Spin a three-sided coin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so many uh, places to start from. Um, yeah, so I guess, um, you know, my experience... Um, you know, being a uh, trans woman who's Aboriginal and working in the union movement and is involved in uh, political activism. Um, I'm a member of the Greens as well, um, and I'd just like to put out a disclaimer that, you know, all my opinions um, shared here are just my own. Um, They may or may not be endorsed by the party. Um, But, yeah, I think, um, you know, from my perspective, it it offers... um, an insight into when you have these various forms of uh, discrimination and, um, you know, uh, prejudice, um, and we're seeing a real uptick um, in transphobia lately. Mm. Um, I guess looking at it from an intersectional point of view and, and what's the crux um, of a lot of my speech was about, um, you know, uh, on TDOV was that, uh, transphobia, transphobia and, and homophobia and, and sexism, racism um, and so on are part of the colonial project. Um, you know, there wasn't uh, those uh, phobias, those biases, um, that systemic discrimination that we're seeing today um, against marginalised groups um, on this continent until after, um, you know, European uh, settlement and the, um, the the genocide and the uh, uh, colonization that ensued, um, you know, after uh, the white fellas got here. So, um, it, I think it helps to understand how colonialism and racism um, and transphobia are linked mm-hmm. because they're one and the same, and they come from the same place. Um, they come from a place of, you know, that uh, unjust hierarchy that has been imposed upon all of us um, and these gender norms um, and, you know, sexuality norms that have been enforced upon um, our people and people all around the world um, who have suffered at the hands of colonialism. So, yeah, I think it's important to recognise that they are one in the same, that they're linked, um, and that to to fight for liberation for one group, we have to fight for liberation for all of us, you know. Um, um, our, our ongoing fight um, as Aboriginal people for um, self-determination, for sovereignty, for our land back, for a treaty, um, is is the is a fight that will liberate all marginalised people. Yep. There's a lot in what you've said there. There's so many things that come out of that, which is great. First of all, I've got to give thanks to Out the Crew from Out of the Blue, diving deep for the Marine News, as they always do, 11.30 till noon every Sunday, and they gave um, the show a shout-out. Thanks to the crew there. Um, And also, um, the thing that came out there was perhaps people, you know, may not understand, you know, that the what the situation was like for what we now in Western slash Anglo terms call LGBTIQA plus, and if there are better words for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people overall, 
um, that fit that, please let me please put those in as well. But what was the beliefs about that prior to we'll say 1788? Well, um, I think it it, it depends on um, where you were um, on on this continent. I think when a lot of people um, view Australia and, and, and they view blackfellas um, as a homogenous uh, group, but mm-hmm. I like to liken it um, to like a continent with many nations uh, and countries on it with diverse um, uh diverse cultures and languages and practices and belief systems um while we have um you know there are common ones um between you know certain mobs um it is very diverse so there's not uh i don't think you can really put it down Mm. to what was the belief for the whole continent at the time but you know um from my experience um and from what i understand talking to different elders and, and different mob and, and people who've sort of uh, studied uh this is that you know there there's a range of um sexual and gender expression um you know in some mobs it was more acceptable than others um and it's not i guess just applicable to australia but you know also um a lot of the pacific um, as well, um, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% familiar uh, with their cultures, but when you um, talk to, um, you know, First Nations people from um, the Pacific or, you know, other colonised areas, it's much the same story that, you know, this um, idea of rigid gender structures and, and, and um, sexual expression and sexuality is a very colonial idea. So, yeah, I doesn't super answer your question, but I think is it's a it's a broad, um, no broad community to <laughs> be able to narrow it's it a down. Per- if that makes sense, it's a sense. perfectly fair answer, and it reminds us that you know just because this is you know um, now we are so called Australia that sometimes we forget to think carefully about the fact that there were two hundred and fifty nations on I'll say this big island and surrounding smaller one so to speak and that there of course there wasn't a uniform approach and that's perfectly okay um you know you talked i think you've you hit a good point right on the button very early about unjust hierarchies they exist in so many ways um a word that i once heard i think is kiriarchy which combines them all ableism sexism homo bitransphobia interphobia and sadly we could go on um, racism um, as well and those sorts of things. Tell us more about that from your perspective, that idea of unjust hierarchies and um, what's that about and perhaps also what um, let's um, let's go with that first and then I've got another thought already. <laughs> it's a big one. Um, so I might ramble on a little bit here about, you know, my growing up and, and whatnot. Um, you know, growing up, my, my nana, um, Annie Coral, mother of Matra, was, um, you know, a, a staunch activist, feminist community leader in Western Sydney, um, incredible woman who I was very fortunate enough to grow up uh, with and go to survival day marches um, from a young age, um, etc. But for me, growing up and sort of when I was, you know, a teenager and, and approaching adulthood I very much felt a sense of powerlessness um that my situation I was just I guess a victim of circumstance 
um, you know, my whole sort of life um, and that, you know, I didn't have any understanding of uh, employment rights or, you know, industrial protections or any real sense that I could affect positive change in the world despite having my incredible Nana um, as a role model. And she taught me a lot, but I guess that's the thing that never really clicked. I felt that, you know, I was within this system. I had no choice but to function within the system and just try and make the best of it. Um, You know, when I came out as trans um, at 16, I I moved out of home at 16 and and got a job in Sydney um, and, you know, later came out as trans and started transitioning and I was fired from my workplace because I made my colleagues uncomfortable, um, you know, just before any unions were a thing. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that's just a thing that they can do. You know, there's just the powers that be and, you know, just have to navigate that um, however um, you can. But there's no understanding of why those structures were in place. And then, you know, sort of as they grew more and faced more discrimination, um, you know, and then and got a job and I was so grateful to have a job because I'd had employers tell me, you know, you should be really grateful, like no one's going to hire someone like you, um, which, you know, really sticks with you when you're 17 and 18 mm. and got a, got a job at um, NAB when I was 19 and I was so, so, so grateful. But there was just this pervasive sense of unfairness and... Um, you know, decision makers making decisions when they don't understand the work that the workers do and it all seemed a bit shit. And then um, I discovered the union movement, um, you know, through that experience and I had a very incredible organiser, Aaron, and he taught me so much Um, and I can't remember what it specifically was from that conversation but all of a sudden, all of my experiences the way that the world operated, the reason why things are the way that they are, just started to click. And I started to see these unjust hierarchies. I started to see the interconnection of why they would want things to be a certain way and why some people are disadvantaged, because it works to benefit this system. And I also started to see that I, as an individual, as a worker, as a single voice, had power in the collective, you know, and that was really, really empowering for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid who, who grew up in, in poverty in Western Sydney and, you know, had um, my beautiful mother who just, you know, we had to rent and she had just bosses that, you know, would um, exploit her and to see that, oh, exploitation doesn't have to be there, like it doesn't have to be part of the thing exploitation is a choice and to see that when we make those links that this capitalist system that we're living under that is part of colonialism that was brought in to subjugate and exploit people for the sole purpose of profit it was just really eye-opening and I started to realize that all of these things are interconnected and that that it's not the natural way of being, you know, these, mm. these prejudices are not, it's not just the way it is because that's the way it is. It's, it's been designed that way. It's, it's, it has, um, there is a purpose and an intent behind it that we are taught is just the way of the world. And so 
I can't remember the original question, Sally, but <laughs> that's my experience, I guess, in a very short, compact form growing up and starting to connect those dots. And once I had those dots connected and I started to learn more and I started to listen to, you know, our, the voices who came before us and incredible activists, um, you know, like Uncle Gary Foley, um, I've learned so much, um, you know, from uh, Celeste Little and her writing, which is incredible that mm -hmm. she's you know, a very accomplished academic and she writes so well. And I could never articulate myself as well as she could, but she is such a role model to me. Seeing um, Lydia Thorpe, you know, um, speak at Invasion Day, I can't remember however many years ago, and then getting a beer with her at the pub afterwards, she became a role model to me. And these incredible forebearers who understand and can articulate this so well through years of experience and activism, it's its really incredible. And, and so these, um, you know, being able to connect these dots and articulate my experience in this way is thanks to the people who've come before me who've set that groundwork, who can simplify and explain things in a way that I can understand. <laughs> yeah. No, well, you've, you've explained it really well. You know, um, it started with a question which was about your remark about unjust hierarchies and that they are, you know, set up that way. They're designed that way. And I think you've explained that really well. And I think you've also, you've happily led into what was going to be my next question after that. You've at least started an answer to it is how do we those hierarchies to be a bit flatter, so to speak. I hopefully <laughs> steamroll the damn things. Um, and you've answered it by, you know, having people, you know, the old saying, you can't be what you can't see. And you mentioned pe wonderful people like Gary Foley and Celeste Little. And I, I've never met, I don't, I'm sure I've met Gary somewhere, but I know I've certainly met Celeste who I just, you know, I agree with you is awesome. Lydia, you mentioned Lydia Thorpe as well. So that's one answer is that we need to share information and make sure that we keep, you know, sharing that information so we're not reinventing wheels but building, you know, better wheels. Um, what other things do you think we need to be doing that might flatten out these hierarchies when it comes to employment rights slash workers, when it comes to queer, when it comes to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and we'll say all intersections therein because it is, you know, it is simply not right. I think I think a very good um, starting step and, and ties into what you're saying, you know, we need to have these role models and have these conversations. But, you know, I think a lot of it, when we acknowledge the idea that um, these systems of oppression are part of the colonial structure is a truth-telling process, um, you know, and we see governments um, and media uh who really, uh, I, they appear to be very frightened by this idea of a truth-telling process, a truth, a truth, a voice, um, you know, in that order. I think we can't begin to deconstruct these systems unless we all understand where they come from, why they're set up, how, you know, how we can work together to address them. So I think definitely the first step um, would be truth um, and in that sharing of information um, with each other and acknowledging Australia's colonial history and present, um, you know, because 
it, it uh, colonization is a is an ongoing uh, continuous process. It hasn't really stopped. Um, I think a treaty would go a very long way. I think when um, you know we when we have um, what's the word if because these because these um, oppressions are all tied in so if we start to deconstruct that colonial project through things like a, um, a truth telling and a treaty and we give real power and self-determination back to us not back to our leaders I think that is going to help the ongoing education aspect of it as well because when we have you know a, like our self-determination enshrined and our sovereignty enshrined it will provide a model i guess for the light fellas for the for the government <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to have something to look forward to to aspire to to learn from i think there is so much you know that we can teach you know these old white fellas in these institutions of power about you know what it what it means to be like human and accepting and um you know embrace the difference instead of exploiting it what it means to be um you know in in I struggle with the words sometimes, Sally. But, um, I keep going. I think, it's going great. I think they are tied. So I, I think that, you know, queer rights, trans rights, black rights, land rights, they're all tied together. I think if we have an opportunity to advance one, it's going to pull everyone else along with it. So I think that I would love for every, you know, non-Aboriginal LGBTQIA plus person to get involved in our struggle because our struggle is your struggle as well. You know, come along and support us and amplify our voices because when we lift one, we lift all. And, you know, um, Lydia Thorpe has been such an incredible ally to the LGBTQIA plus Mm -hmm. community, such an incredible ally to trans people, especially during the last federal election, where we were just seen as, you know, political fodder. We were just, we were Mm. a collateral damage to the Labour Party, to, you know, the Liberals. They thought they could wedge the public on trans issues. And, you know, Lydia was one of the few politicians I saw going that. That's not on, you know, and she's been consistent in that, you know, her whole career. Um, you know, um, protesting uh, Mardi Gras, protesting Reese Parker, you know, putting her life on the line, her health, safety, and well-being on the line to fight for the LGBTQI plus community. And I think that it's only fair that the LGBTQI plus community does the same for us, as someone from both communities, I would love to see that, you know, because it is, it's tied in. It's, our struggles are the same. Absolutely. You know, we have to lift each other where we can, and particularly those who are, we'll say, further down the, well, I hate to say it, the ladder of privilege. Um, <laughs> you know, those further up need to do more lifting, but where we can, we need to lift those further down up and certainly 
speaking just one-dimensionally for a second, I totally agree with you. Trans people need cis allies not just to, um, you know, sort of send us a text, are you okay, which is great, but we need um, cisgender allies to be building more cisgender allies, excuse me, in terms of both numbers um, and the strength of that allyship because, as you said, and I'm... Again, shouting out to the um, crew from Out of the Blue who mentioned this on their show about marine news, that it's certainly you know, heavy going at the moment for trans people and also drag performers. And just while I think of it, I'd like to give a shout out to Dina Curie, who um, I just think in the face of the loss of work and the uh, undignified attacks that drag performers are facing is conducting himself with so much dignity around our community. There was a, an interview in The Guardian yesterday about this and the fact that he keeps his composure and dignity and all that sort of thing in the face of this, I just think is enormous. And, you know, um, <clears throat> he's not just the um, the busiest homosexual in Melbourne slash Nam, he's um, one of the best. <laughs> so I just wanted to give that shout out. I did love him. Yeah. Um, well, I haven't met anyone yet who doesn't, so there we go. Um, but coming back coming back to our conversation, I mean, you mentioned you came out at trans at 16, and I mean, um, you know, first of all, affirming that the, well, malarkey, to keep it polite, that you copped from employers was simply not appropriate under state and federal laws. Um, we're coming up to 10 years of the anniversary of federal anti-discrimination law this year. It should not have happened. Um you know, um, what about other? Did you get support um, supports from other places? If so, who, who, where, how, so to speak? In terms of, um, was it what was the journey like at that point? No, so my journey at the time, and this is over a decade ago. Like this is over ten years ago, mm-hmm. um, and things have dramatically improved in that time. We're seeing a lot of pushback now, which is quite scary but when we look at uh, you know at least uh practical rights like you know when i when i started you had to go through 12 months of like psychotherapy to prove you were trans enough before you can get the referral to an endocrinologist like it took over a year to get on hormones back then and it was very expensive and stressful um you know and, and now you know we have an informed consent model which is amazing but um at the time so I was, prior to coming out as trans, I guess I identified as a naive, twinky gay male who <laughs> seemed great um, for that at the time. And, you know, um, I had a, a very easy time being, um, you know, perceived by the world as a gay man. I could get jobs very easy. I made friends very easy. Um, it was very fun to be, like, a twinky <laughs> 16, 17 year old gay teenager living in Sydney. Um, and so I thought, oh, well, like, you know, the world is so progressive. Like, it's going to be like, you know, once I realized I was trans, once I realized that trans existed, it was actually, I was watching a late night SBS program in my apartment called My Transsexual Summer. And I didn't really know trans people existed up until that point. And I was like, oh my gosh, she used to be a boy. I just started looking into it. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's me. Like, that's my. Mm-hmm in my life so it was really amazing and then it was also really scary and I cried in the shower for a couple of hours but you know I was like this is going to be fine the world is progressive everything's going to be great mm-hmm. um but it 
wasn't. I was fired from my job. I was kicked out of my apartment. I lost all of my friends. Actually, they kept me around for a little bit to make fun of me behind my back, which I didn't know. So one of them, um, he left that friend group because of what they were doing and told me, and that was really lovely. So I had, you know, a friend. But, you know, lost the majority of my social support, bar maybe three people. Um, you know, I, I was couch surfing for a bit, um, you know, and and kind older queers, you know, housed me on their couches, oh. um, which was really great and I'm so thankful for. Um, and, yeah, it was really difficult. I didn't have any supports. And at the time, I didn't even know about, I didn't even know people had workplace protections. I didn't know there was anti-discrimination protections. I thought I could just be fired on the spot from my job. I thought that's how employment worked because that's what I grew up witnessing is ah. oh, fired now. Okay, um, I'll go, go get another job now. You know, and so I that's just what I expected. Like, it didn't seem wrong to me. It just was the norm because that's what I saw growing up. So... <laughs> I wish I knew back then what I know now, working for the union movement for a few years, I would have a very delicious payout um, mm. for that experience, but, you know, hindsight and all of that. So, yeah, it was really hard, but there were, um, you know, older queers um, and good people around. It was just hard to find them. I found new supports. I just... I had to lose what I thought the supports and were not to find anyone, if that makes sense. No, it it very much does make sense. Sometimes something that seems okay-ish um, doesn't turn out to be when the crunch comes and you've got to, and it's really hard to let it go and find something better. Um, let's just say, yeah, I get you. <laughs> and <laughs> most of all, though, totally affirming the difficulty you went through and any feelings and pain that would have been involved in it um and glad that you did find you know some support some will say threads to will say not fall off the cliff with so to speak um because it would have been awful but you know I think you there was a point that struck me you said you'd grown up thinking that people just could be fired because I'm wondering if that is because you saw that um happen to um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander siblings that they were fired or treated poorly due to racism, colonialism, similar? Yeah, well, I, I think at the time growing up, I didn't I didn't make the connection that it was that. I just was like, oh, this is just what happens, you know, because mm. it, it's such a common experience. Um, you know, there's so much exploitation, and I think when you are you know, whether you're a black fella or, you know, a young queer, queer kid, te- like, you know, you, you don't you don't know that you have rights because you don't see anyone else have rights. You oh, don't, yeah. They're not rights that you could even imagine that exist because you don't, you don't witness it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So when, when you're a bit older and, and you're like, oh, what the fuck, there's these protections in place? Like, what the, when, since when? Because there's no, there's no education around it. And if, your whole family and your community all are all experiencing the same thing, then you don't think to question it. You don't, you know, it's it, 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 a lot of what I was heard growing up is, 
that's just the way it is, you know. It is the way it is. <laughs> yeah, no, and I understand. yeah, that that becomes your expectation. Yeah, well, look, um, it's it's a really you know, inter- you know, it, it's a really striking sort of point there that you know you, you see something, it's hard to break out of the habit of seeing it and find where there might be alternatives, and mm-hmm. you know it's really unfair. And also, I think there's elements of how much education, not so much yourself, but other people have had um, that you know perhaps people aren't aware of some of the rights. And it was unfortunate. I remember going back when we did get the Federal Equal Opportunity Law in 2013, it was the night before Kevin Rudd took back the Prime Ministership from Julia Gillard and it got buried in that news cycle. And it was such a big thing. And so a lot of people didn't know about that. Um, So, yeah, sometimes these things don't get the publicity they need and should be added at the moment. There is no one at the Federal Australian Human Rights Commission who is dedicated to LGBTIQI plus issues, which is really, really not good enough. And we mm. need to fix that up. Um, mm. But, um, you know, um, having a chat um, on 3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and on demand, to Laura McLean, queer and um, Aboriginal unionist. And, um, Laura, the thing that I wanted to ask you about is you are now involved with the union, although, as once again, reiterating things that you say today, uh, your own personal opinions. Tell us about how you got into being involved in a union um, and be, having a role with them. I mean, you've sort of hinted at it in a way, but tell us a bit more <laughs> and what you're doing now and the sort of campaigns that um, you're working on. Yeah, cool, absolutely, Sally. So um, I found the union movement, I was working at NAB, we were the... Well, were we? We weren't verifications. We were like, um, we were the assessing department. I was in a data entry role. People would apply for a home loan or uh, not a home loan, a personal loan or a credit card. It would come to us, we would assess the application and then send it off for verifications. We were told this new operating system was coming in place and that everyone's job is staying the same. Everyone's going to do the same job, just on a new system. Anyway, going for training for this new system and assessment had been automated and we were all of a sudden expected to do verifications which was much harder and also had like a greater uh, uh, thing and a responsibility to it we had all this lending responsibility guidelines we have to follow anyway we were like this is weird <laughs> this doesn't feel right because our jobs have just essentially been made redundant since it's automated now and then I was like, oh, maybe we should reach out to that like union guy that comes around <laughs> all the time after to join the union. Maybe he knows what's up. And so that's when I met um, Aaron, who I love him so much, a dear friend of mine. And he explained collective power and how capitalism works and, you know, um, what the profit is made up of. And I was like, oh, my God, we do make the profit. Like, if we didn't work here, there would be no money for this multi-billion dollar bank. So I unionized my department, um, and that was super fun. And I was like, I want to be an organizer um, when I grow up. So I did become an organizer at the FSU and, you know, really thankful uh, for that opportunity and the things that I learned uh, through the FSU organizing as a job 
isn't for me, it turns out, is it kind of takes the fun out of it when your employment is attached to it. Um, so I ended up um, taking a redundancy from there during COVID. Um, and then um, I ended up at the ASU, where I still am today. Um, my dear friend, uh, Austin, who, yep. uh, you know, Sally Austin, who's amazing and organized the T-Dog Rally, um, worked at the ASU and we used to work together at the FSU, actually. We were colleagues and Austin was briefly my organizer as well when I was a delegate. Um, and so, yeah, I went over to the ASU, um, really good. Um, and I'm working in um, our growth and retention team. So uh, a lot um, making campaign phone calls for the organizers who are running campaigns, whether it's a protected action ballot turnout, uh, you know, we call all of our new members and welcome them. And then my other job at the ASU is I'm the training support officer. So I do all of the administration for um, our delegates who come into training, um, the training, do all of the stuff in the back end there, order catering, which is quite fun, book accommodation. Um, but I, I essentially help our trainer, Sam, um, you know, facilitate the development um, of our amazing delegates, because I believe that education is very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, having strong, empowered, knowledgeable and capable delegates is how we grow the union movement. Um, I cannot stress that enough. It's the, the future of the movement is in our delegates. So I'm very passionate about being part of the process that helps to develop them because I was a delegate myself and it's such an amazing experience. Um, but I'm not um, so much in a campaigning role anymore, um, but I do like to keep abreast of um, the campaigns that we run and help facilitate um, and volunteer for those campaigns. Um, and I think back to your earlier mentioning, Sally, of the... Um, uh, so drag story times um, mm -hmm. and drag queens and trans people being under attack. So the ASU um, uh, the, uh, local council workers and library workers are our members. They're in our coverage. We have uh -huh. incredible delegates um, who work in our local libraries. Um, and I think it's quite topical um, and I think quite important for the union movement as a whole, but I think especially the ASU to um, really try and support our workers, um, especially our, our library, our library worker members um, with all of this cancelling of drag story times and far-right protesting and stuff uh, that is going on because I know that our members who work in, in this sector feel quite passionately um, about being allies. Like all, every library member I've met has just been an incredible person and a great ally. So, yeah, I can't really speak too much on what is happening there, um, but I know that a lot of our, our members and our delegates, you know, feel probably feel quite passionately about this and, you know, we really need community support, um, you know, to protect A, the people attending these events, um, B, to stop them getting shut down by far-right neo-Nazis, and C, also support our incredible library workers um, who also are at risk in this situation. Yep. 
Just a few things out of that. Um, Austin Fabry Jenkins, who you mentioned, is the co-convener of the Victorian Pride Lobby, formerly the Victorian Gay and Lesbian Rights Lobby, and I'm probably just declaring that I, even though I'm self-employed now, I have, I'm still a member of the Australian Services Union myself. But I think you've raised some really good points there about um, that this is a workplace health and safety issue um, that is affecting workers Um, that they're being bullied in this way, and that's very much where we need unions. And it's absolutely atrocious that people who are just trying to go to to their work are being, you know, know, psychologically and verbally attacked in these ways, and that, you know, it seems that we're caving in. But um, hopefully down the track I want to get in, and if if one of my 3CR quick programming colleagues on um, shows like In Your Face or Queering the Air haven't, or others haven't covered it yet, there was a sort of, um, <clears throat> sorry, counter-defence group organised this week by long-running um, advocate Felicity Marlowe. Um, and I can't remember the name, Rain, um, Rainbow Family Support. I'm really sorry. Um, I was trying to th- see if it came up easily in my social media, um, which I think is incredibly welcome that we now have that. And I know lots of other people are not you know, sort of taking this lying down and how we get to community support. So I just want to say to people, um, to council workers, to anyone who's being sort of um, attacked, you know, in this way, um, that, um, you know, hang in there because um, sort of help, um, well, risk of sounding like a Little River Band song, help is on on its way. Um, So we're definitely going to uh, make sure that this um, sort of stuff gets turned around. And we would ask councils, <clears throat> we understand your difficulties if there are actual physical threats, but please stay firm on this. Um, it doesn't need to happen. But just on the good part of local council work, um, we're coming up to Ida Hobbit Week, and um, it should be noted that all 79 local councils in Victoria will fly rainbow flags this year. So that's um, also part of good work by people at councils uh, and things they are doing. Um might be worth just um, asking about campaigns that unions have in relation to queer. I mean, one issue that comes up is transition leave in awards and bargaining agreements. Um, how is that progressing along, sort of slowly but surely, or how's that going? It, it is a it is a slowly but surely um, uh, thing at the moment. Um, it, a lot of local councils have adopted it. There's been very little pushback. Um, for it, which has been really, really great. Um, I remember back in the day, um, Austin again, because <laughs> they're amazing, do so much. Um, Austin um, and Jess Mayher, um, back when Jess was working at Trades Hall, um, and myself sort of, we sat down to talk about like, can we have a transition leave? Like, what would that look like? And, you know, drafted a model clause off the back of those conversations. Um, and I think it's the model clause that's still being used today um, in bargaining, at, at least when a union puts forward the idea of transition leave, because some employers do put it in their log of claims, um, but theirs is quite lacklustre and sometimes leaves holes open for people to uh, just be fired <laughs> going on the leave. So... Um, definitely good to use a model clause that's been approved by unions. But yeah, we're seeing a lot of councils pick it up slowly but surely. Um, you know, it's really good. A lot of our members um, are 
super on board with it. Sometimes members have some questions, but I think once you sort of explain it to them, um, you know, in a way that appeals to our values as unionists of equality and, and dignity and stuff, they're quite on board. They're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But I think it's a, a new concept for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I often sort of relate it to parental leave. Like, not everyone's going to take parental leave because not everyone's going to become a new parent. You know? um, not everyone's going to take transition leave, but it's really good for those who need it because transition is expensive. It is an arduous process with a lot of paperwork to get through you know it's not it's not a quick thing um you know and it, it it takes a lot of time and money and sometimes you need time off work and yeah I think relating it to something like parental leave or carers leave even because it's a, a similar length of entitlement mm-hmm. usually um is, is a good um good thing to talk to about because not everyone's going to need carers leave not everyone's going to need transition leave but it makes everyone's life who needs it easier and make sure that people can keep their jobs. And then you have a community that faces a lot of unemployment and a lot of discrimination in the workplace. It's good for people to be able to keep their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely so. Um, <clears throat> um, that, you know, there, there are those similarities. I mean, sometimes in the um, healthcare debates, people say, well, why should trans be covered by Medicare when at the moment it isn't? Well, I'm, I, you know, hope to all goodness that I will never need treatment for cancer, but cancer treatment's covered, um, for example, or some are. So it's mm. all those sorts of things. And we, you know, those sorts of, you know, not everyone needs things. It's just about human decency and fairness. We're coming yes, towards actually. the end of our. Um, time together. God, that's been a flying hour at around 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, we went very quick. <laughs> <laughs> we only seem like we've scratched the surface on everything. Um, so um, we've got to sort of start moving out of here toward around five to one to make way for the Fab Crew from Freedom of Species talking all things animal advocacy, um, oh, cool. which is one of the wonderful shows on um, 3CR and 2 o'clock rotations, 3 o'clock Queering the Air, the afternoon lineup on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. So let's, um, any any sort of final points and um, anything, and let's bring it all together, um, Laura. Um, it's just been you know, I just love your perspective that you you know you see these linkages um they are there, and you know lots of good people do you know the debbie and um Allison from Freedom Socialist Party radical women are doing it um so well it's just we need this, and people go, oh use the old Australian slang it's just about a fair go mate um that sort of thing um <laughs> so you know sort of bring it all together um you know sort of. You've given us a clear indication of what drives you, just that sense of fairness and justice, but um, you know, um, put it all together perhaps just for the, for the end of the show in your own words. Oh, um, oh, I'm very bad at doing a summary, Sally. <laughs> Give it a shot. I just sort of you, you ramble a continuous stream of consciousness. But, yeah, I think, I think the main sort of takeaway is you know, change is possible. It it can happen. Um, and I think a, a, a good starting point, something that we all really need to work on is that, um, you know, that education aspect, that sharing our truths and our stories 
um, that truth-telling process that, you know, when we share our stories, we, we bring others along on the journey with us. Um, and, you know, I, again, um, you know, our our fights, um, whatever, whatever community you fall under, whatever, if you're, if you're a marginalized community experiencing discrimination, our fight is one and we really need to start standing up for all of each other, having each other's backs, I think, and, and having that solidarity is how, you know, we will make progress and hopefully start to unravel some of these oppressive structures that are in place and build a better world. So, yeah. We can do it. Yep. Keep unraveling. We can do it. Um, keep unraveling. We've got lots of support. We've got to give someone who's a great um, elder of our lesbian community, Joan Nestle, had a birthday during the week. Um, she's an amazing woman. And also, while we're talking amazing community pioneers um, after 50 years, Julie Peters, um, the self-proclaimed fairy grandmother of the Victorian trans community, retired from the ABC <laughs> this week, um, which is oh. um, you know amazing. And she's just done so much work there. And, well, hey, she was um, part of the, the crew that brought us Countdown in the 70s. So that makes it double legend status or quadruple <laughs> or infantuple. In I love book. Countdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the great things of our time. Um, so, and yes, um, we also need strong media, um, Auntie ABC, um, being hopefully, um, given its independence and not being pressured is one of those things. Community media is another 3CR Radiothon, um, getting underway in a few weeks in June. Um, there's a, just a subtle hint, um, coming through there, um, but, uh, oh, can I just give a shout out, Sally, as yeah. well, um, to Annie Lydia Thorpe. You're doing a deadly job, sister. We yep. love you. Keep it up. You're where you need to be. Um, and you're just you're the fucking best. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, she, you know, um, you know, I think she's someone who's authentic. And that's something I think that we're craving for in this day and age. We went through the... I call, I'll call it the social media, whether you call it a revolution or evolution or something, but we went through this phase where it was just publicity for the sake of publicity. I think people are going, too much of that now. Um, let's mm. just swing back to some authenticity, and if it's coming from the right place, then publicise it. And I'm, I, you know, um, I'm the first to admit that I don't know everything, obviously, as someone who is neither Aboriginal nor Torres Strait Islander, do I understand everything about Aboriginal issues? No but I can respect that where Lydia Thorpe is coming from is honest and authentic. And I'd rather that than some, you know, um, half-assed fakery, if I can use such a term. Um, <laughs> just about out of time, but I've got to, I'm a, um, it's, um, as we say, we're heading into Ida Hobbit Week, and I think that thank you so much for your intersectional perspectives um, on the show today, Laura. I've got um, a guest lined up for next week who I'm just a little bit excited about, um, and that is that uh, next week on the show, my worlds sort of come together in that I'm going to be interviewing Ken Dazzler Dunlop, who is the first Australian professional wrestler to put out an autobiography, and he was openly gay in the 80s in professional wrestling. 
So I So yes, I'm just a, a tiny bit excited about that. Um, so what a way to book um, two wonderful guests to bookend um, Ida Hobbit Week. Um, next week's show will be called Bout of the Pan as opposed to Out of the Pan. Um, and there's going to and so that's why no, we didn't get any wrestling references today, um, listeners of all genders, because. You're going to get them in droves next week. <laughs> so, so I thought I'd do a bit of liberant balance there. So very excited to have Ken on the show. I got, it was a huge thrill when he sent me a message directly during the week. And I've got to thank Shoreline Publishing who put us in touch. So um, get out and buy that. Dazzler Dunlop, Inside My Squared Circle um, by Ken Dunlop. And you can ask Ken and myself lots of questions next week, listeners. But we've got to leave it there. Um, Laura, thanks so much for um, coming on the show. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for all your great perspectives. And um, I'd better get out of here and make way for freedom of species. Um, covering all things animal advocacy, I'll get us in a wrestling mood because I have to um, <laughs> and take it out today with the theme music from Brett the Hitman Heart, um, the Pink and Black Attack. Um, thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, listeners. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. And we're clear. <laughs> <laughs>